This episode of Nocturne is brought to you with the support of Casper. Casper is offering Nocturne listeners $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com nocturne and using promo code nocturne. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and bounce. This is the mattress that Time Magazine named one of the best inventions of 2015. My mom didn't know about Casper yet when she recently bought a new mattress. I remember it wasn't the most pleasant experience. I called her up and asked her about it. What's your general experience of buying a mattress? A very frustrating experience. I actually went back and almost lived in the store a couple of times. You know, you have to sleep on something to know exactly how your body is going to react to it. You heard it from my mom. Don't go live at the mattress store. You can try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Caspers are made in America with free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. Go to casper.com nocturne and use promo code nocturne for $50 off your new mattress. You're listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Living in the Berkeley area, I rarely have occasion to take the bus. But growing up in New York, I took the bus all the time, and I preferred it at night. During the day, the bus and the outside world were continuous. People were rushing from one thing to the next, very much in work mode, or just wrapped up in daily life. But at night, the bus lit from within like a glowing bubble, strangely exciting. It was like you were traveling in a small enclosed world, a rolling cocoon. Looking out the windows, the reflections of buildings overlaid real buildings, with lights arcing across the images like an impressionistic painting, a beautiful fleeting distortion. The bus rumbled and hummed as it rolled forward in fits and starts, and seemed to send out tiny invisible threads that connected the people on the bus to each other even if they never even spoke. Watching the buses around the Bay Area over the years, I'm not going to lie, I've rarely been tempted. I have a car and a bike, and I like to walk. But at night, every once in a while, I'll see the bus go by and find myself wondering about the people inside and making up stories in my head. So I got on the 51B from Berkeley to Oakland the other night to see what I've been missing. There's something about buses anywhere that are the same somehow, but uh... What do you you think that is? Just random people in a small, confined space together that normally wouldn't like sit across from each other, I guess. (laughs) Um, You know, it's always an interesting form of entertainment. Different people on the bus all the time. There's always something going on. What are you doing on the bus tonight? We are coming home from date night. We have no car and we love riding the bus. So it's been, it's just been a casual ride home. Started some conversations with random people. I'm open to talking to people on the bus. It doesn't always happen. I have a baby. So when I ride the bus with him, a lot of times like people talk to him. Like people always have their headphones in. It, it seems like a lot of people use public transportation and like their alone time. 
if we sit in the back of the bus, we like without fail end up sitting next to somebody drinking a beer who high fives my baby, which is okay. <laughs> they high five the baby? Uh huh. <laughs> so, what are you doing on the bus tonight? I'm coming home from a Dungeons and Dragons game. Uh, because I forgot to buy diapers, so I'm going to buy diapers right now. And my husband is not at the house, so he's coming late, so I have no choice, so that's why. Um, I've actually had a pretty rough day. Um, I was harassed and threatened for most of the day by a wannabe neo-Nazi from back home who did a bunch of really fucked up things and like really like messed my life. So I was drinking at a bar with a lot of my friends and so I'm heading home after that. So it's uh, you know, a very good end to a day, I will say. I mean, sometimes you just get like a weird vibe from someone or, or sometimes there's like something tense between two other people and that's a little bit scary. Sometimes you see people doing weird things, and that's its own category, I guess. Have you ever had any interesting experiences on the bus at night? Uh, <laughs> how how uh, G-rated or what, what's the rating? Totally any ready. <laughs> once a homeless person who whipped it out on the bus and was freaking people out as he uh, did his thing, aiming it in multiple directions. At night, I mean, it's just kind of like every, it's all single males for the most part. It's kind of, you know, you're hard to ever see a single woman. It's usually a bunch of lonely guys. <laughs> I feel like I generally get into a lot of social situations on the bus, not intentionally. I don't know what it is, but it happens. I always leave myself open if somebody wants to make comments. You know, I'll, I'll respond and we'll get, we'll start talking. Of course, the most common thing in modern times is everybody's on their phone, or looking at their phone. It's like, there's a whole bus full of humans with phones in their hands looking at them, even if they got just got on with three other people who are their friends. It's, it's, it's absurd. People pretty much disappear, so. What do you mean? Well, I, I mean, they, they have a wall around themselves, so, so you just shut it all out and say, unless this person gets into my shit, I'm not gonna, get into it because we're in a public space. It's like none of my freaking business. Why do you think people are like that on the bus? In my experience, most public transportation, nobody will even notice you. They, in fact, they'll unnotice you. Oh. Yeah. You have a good night, my dear. The upshot of my bus field trip was a reminder about not thinking I know what to expect. It was pretty sedate, but I still got the thrill of that rolling the dice feeling, the infinite possible combinations of people and events that happen when you're being shuttled around in a luminous bubble through the dark streets. The bubbles have different personalities, though, depending on where they are. I've recently learned that the night buses of London have a personality all their own. It's enough of a thing that there's both a movie and a reality TV show about them, and they're a featured element in a popular series of books about a young wizard. The buses in London run 24 hours a day. The night bus is more than just a way of getting from A to B. It's the start of the party. Welcome to the night bus. Emergency transport for the stranded witch or wizard. This ordinary night bus has been fitted with remote control cameras to capture the passengers as they really are. All of human life is here. It's going to be a bumpy ride. 
I spoke to a Londoner about her take on the night buses of London in general, and one night in particular. Helen Zaltzman produces the podcasts The Illusionist and Answer Me This. She spoke to me from her home in Crystal Palace. In London, all the other forms of transport stop around midnight, and so you have to go on the bus. And therefore, the buses are quite a scene. (laughs) You're just all praying that you get home with no one starting a fight and no one throwing up and no one getting on and arguing with the driver so the bus stops and waits for them to get off because they never do and that's hours of your life. Um, And so quite often arguments break out because someone will be listening to music on their phones and it's, it's a bit of a tinderbox. But... The ideal scenario is everyone sits in silence <laughs> until until we all uh, reach our stop. You were talking about what buses in London are like, and that I don't take a lot of buses in the Bay Area. I did when I grew up in New York City, but I don't remember them being particularly raucous. <laughs> so I'm very interested to hear that it's so different in London. Yeah, well, I think because everyone does take public transport in London, because if you take taxis everywhere, it's such a spread out city, it will cost you a lot. And also it'll probably take you longer uh, because it's a pain in the ass to drive around London. Um, And it is a drinking city. So generally, I just try not to be out of my house beyond about 8pm on the weekends because I'm pathetic. Um, And also because I don't particularly enjoy the public transport drunks. But you can rely on many of them being around and sometimes bottles are thrown. Uh, Puking is uh, just a fact of life, a sad fact of life. Uh, There was someone the other night and they were just puking water all over the floor. It's it's very degrading. It's worse at night. (laughs) Everyone's inhibitions disappear when they're they're drinking and uh, also their usual qualms about public hygiene. I just try to avoid being out at night, <laughs> on the weekends anyway, um, because I'm not really a drinker, so interacting with drunks is uh, not particularly entertaining for me. Talking to Helen, I was getting the impression that the night bus in London is a vomit-splattered wrestling arena filled with yelling drunks. I think the classic reputation of uh, Brit is inhibited and Londoners as unfriendly. And that's just because we're all so tightly packed in the city that you have to give people space by ignoring them. I think it's probably still a minority of people that are completely hammered on public transport and everyone else who's coming home from work or cinema or something, they're just trying to keep quiet and stay out of trouble. Sometimes it's good though. I remember we were coming back on a bus late at night once and there was a guy who was playing reggae on an acoustic guitar. And usually if someone was playing music, that would be an immediate fight. But I think because he was playing it live and it was very soothing, people loved it. They applauded when he finished. And he said, yeah, because I have to get the bus home every night. I figure it's 90 minutes of guitar practice I can do. Got to admire it. On one particular night, the bus ride home from the movies took a dark turn. This is a thing which happened about three years ago. I was with my husband, Martin, and our friend, Jim. We'd just been to see the film Looper at uh, the Brixton Ritzy Cinema in South London. It's a Ryan Johnson film starring Bruce Willis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. 
uh, as time-travelling hitmen. And um, we were on our way home on the bus and it was pretty late. This was a classic red double-decker London bus. Inside they're kind of grey, very brightly lit, so when it's dark, it's almost aggressively lit inside and fluorescent. And, um, and it was probably three quarters empty. It's enclosed. It's not like one of the open top tourist buses like in a Richard Curtis film, because it rains here nearly all the time. Um, so those buses are not pleasant to travel in. Helen and her companions were in winding down mode after a night of rousing entertainment. Preparing for a sleep, trying to uh, cleanse ourselves of the tension of watching Looper with all the violence and time-travelling hitmen. And it all seemed like it was going to go so well because no one was playing music through their phone or anything. I feel so naive for thinking that was the only source of trouble. There was nothing out of the ordinary going on. Just another cluster of unrelated people being transported through the dimly lit London streets. We were on the 432 bus home to Crystal Palace and we were about halfway along the route in a particularly dark patch by a, a timber merchant. We were sitting on the upper deck, about 15 people near the front, and we all heard a noise from the back. And we turned around and it looked like two teenage boys were kind of, um, I do playing a game or roughhousing, where like a vigorous hug. And we all thought they were just playing in an amiable way. And then we realised that one of them actually had a knife and was stabbing the other one in the vigorous hug. And people kind of lurched as if to go towards them and then lurched back as if to realise not a good idea when someone is armed. Like, it's a nice idea to be the hero, but also a terrible idea. Um, and the authorities are better equipped to deal with it. So we all ran downstairs and the bus driver stopped the bus and um, called the emergency services. Helen and the other passengers scrambled off of the bus. And I've, I really felt sorry for the bus driver as well, because he was probably thinking, why me? Why my route? I think the bus drivers, when anything like this happens, they are told to stay in their little cabs, which are glassed off, and call the police. Um, so he did not get out. We stood outside on the dark pavement, sidewalk in American, and... The only light was coming from the bus windows and we could see them on the top deck, one of them with his arms around the other one, stabbing him with the little knife and kind of whirling round and round like they were dancing or something, except one of them was just completely helpless and the other one was leading. It was a really weird light when we were out on the pavement because the bus was at a standstill with all the lights on and there weren't really any street lights on this stretch of road. Um, so we were all illuminated by the light coming through the windows. It was very brightly lit, so you've got this amazing view if that's what you're into. And the windows on the bus are very large, so you could see upstairs these, these two boys uh, waltzing around very clearly. It was kind of unreal, and then we were all just standing lit by secondhand bus light. 
I think I was in shock while the stabbing was happening, because I remember watching it from outside the bus and thinking, oh, maybe we should, maybe we should go and get the train home. We could probably get the last train if we go now, um, which was a, just a really stupid thought to have. But I think it was just my normal brain. You know, the how do I get home? Uh, not having really absorbed the fact that someone was in this potentially life-threatening situation. Uh, so I was a moron. It took hours for it to really sink in. I've led such an insulated life, I, I haven't witnessed many um, stabbing crimes. So it was late. The people who had been on the bus were tired and possibly a little irritated at the disruption. And then this woman who was kind of sassy and middle-aged, she said, oh, this is horrendous. And she got back on the bus and marched upstairs and said, you should be ashamed of yourselves. What would your grandmothers think? She was absolutely fierce. I wonder why she did it. I wonder whether it was really a moral thing or whether she was just so pissed off at how late it was getting and that she really needed to get home. But that was critical because that stopped the stabber stabbing and he ran downstairs and ran off up the road into the darkness. Um, and Jim was in quite a mordant mood. I think he'd been having relationship trouble. So when the stabber ran off the bus and ran down the road, Jim ran after him and I thought, oh no, Jim's being really self-destructive. Um, but he didn't want to intervene. He just was trying to see where he was going and uh, could not run as fast as the child criminal. Also, the section of South London suburbs where they were stopped was filled with shuttered shops and dense housing beyond the road. So I think, I think where the stabber ran off to was a labyrinthine housing estate because he would have known where he was going and uh, therefore been hard to track. The passengers huddled around the bus trying to figure out what to do, stranded in the middle of the night wanting to get home. The bus stopped about halfway along the route. We were in a place called West Norwood in quite a dark patch around the back of West Norwood station uh, where there's rows of unprepossessing shops. And there's also a church which had a weird, slightly illuminated shrine to the Virgin Mary that you could see like yards and yards away, sort of bluish fluorescent shrine. We all stood on the pavement, the police arrived and and I was having these stupid thoughts. I thought, oh, it's going to be ages before we can get back on the bus and go home, not thinking the bus is now a crime scene and we're all witnesses. So the police put police tape all around the bus and all around us and um, uh, they patched up the stabbing victim who actually with the knife was tiny. The blade was maybe an inch, an inch and a half long. So he was all right. He was stunned, but they wrapped him in a foil blanket and um, he was OK. Uh, but we were standing on this dark pavement for what felt like hours, but was probably really not that long. Um, while they had to take witness statements from all of us because they really needed somebody to have seen who produced the knife. And even though it was very obviously a one-sided thing because no one cried for help, um, and there was definitely one of them embracing the other one and the one who was being stabbed not fighting back at all, it was critical that someone had seen the knife be produced, but we were all facing the wrong way, um, which was regrettable. 
So we were all standing around talking to the police and just thinking, are we ever going to get home at this point? It was about 1.30 in the morning. And then I noticed this guy was standing in the middle of all of the police tape, eating an ice cream. <laughs> He'd had the presence of mind to pop across the road to an all-night shop and buy an ice cream cone uh, to while away the time while the police were questioning us, uh, which I thought was a really admirable way to treat a crisis. But he should have at least got one for the victim to cheer him up. But the police were very excited. Apparently, they never usually get cases like this. They know they happen, but they happen in private, not on a bus with 15 witnesses and CCTV. And apparently it was about a girl. The victim had uh, disrespected the girl of the stabber. I think this was a planned revenge. But sadly, as I learnt months later, because none of us could confirm who produced the knife, even though it was obvious, the victim wouldn't speak to the police and the stabber said it was self-defence, even though he didn't ask for any help. So the police were just really frustrated that finally, having got one of these cases, they had to let it go. What a waste. After the police had finished interviewing everyone, the passengers were allowed to continue on their journeys. We could not get back on the bus because the bus was a crime scene. Uh, eventually, another bus came and we were allowed to get on that because we'd all given our statements. And that bus, I was thinking, please, nothing, please, no, not again. They finally did get home, if a bit tired and shaken. It was after midnight that we got on, and I guess we, it's usually about a 25-minute journey if no one gets stabbed in the middle. <laughs> but I think we got home after, after two. I was just in this cocoon of... of surprise and incomprehension. When we got home, we all sat in the living room just trying to process what had happened and we drank whiskey, which did help a bit to <laughs> to penetrate the senses. I, I don't really... I'd never really had that thing before, like in old-fashioned books where they give people brandy for the shock. I'd never really had that recourse to spirits, um, but it did help. It seemed to really cheer Jim up, actually. He was in a terrible mood before it happened. And then maybe afterwards, maybe after you see something like that, you think, my life's all right, actually. <laughs> I may have girl trouble, but at least no one's getting stabbed over it. Everything turned out okay, more or less. No one died, although, it's rather clouded my view of the film Looper, just by association. But every time now that I get that bus, which is quite often, and every time it's after dark, I'm thinking, is it going to happen again? Is it going to be worse? And what happened to them? I'm, and did it seem like a pattern of vengeance that they should continue doing? And if so, why on public transport? I did try to find it online. Nothing. I bet if it had been a white girl rather than young black men, it would have made the news. That is uh, the sad state of affairs we're in. I asked Helen if that night on the bus changed her own sense of safety. I still haven't felt unsafe myself, but I felt really sad that that was a possibly daily reality for a lot of people. I think I have a very comfortable life and therefore it's easy to forget that 
not everyone necessarily does. Um, and that for some people there are no safe places. And that probably is worse at night because there are more hiding places and unknown threats, I suppose. Even if there aren't really, just feels like there there can be. Like the darkness can be both protective and um, isolating. That's the night bus in a nutshell. A cradle of light rolling through the streets with the opportunity to connect to your fellow humans or to notice the distance between you. You never know who you'll meet or what you'll see, only that at the end of the ride, you'll walk off into the darkness. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. A lot of the other music in this episode is by Miles Boyson, with additional music by Jeffrey Foster, Janet Fetter, and Chiron. You can find details at the website nocturnepodcast.org, where there are also links to Helen Zaltzman and her fantastic shows. Thanks to UK Channel 4 and Warner Brothers for clips from The Night Bus and Harry Potter. We're always looking for stories, so if you have a story that intersects with the night, shoot us an email at hello at nocturnepodcast.org. Nocturne is a proud founding member of The Herd, and we have some exciting news. We've just added two stellar producers to our audio storytelling family. Sarah Brooke Curtis is in production on the upcoming Today's Special, about the rich and messy inner workings of restaurants. And Erica Heilman joins us with the poignant and intimate Rumble Strip, Vermont. Here's a clip from the episode, Jesse. When you're watching it happen, you never think, my mom is high on drugs right now. Like You don't think that, you just think there's something wrong and you don't know how to fix it. I don't think that a person knows real selfishness until they have a parent that is on drugs. Find out more about all the shows in The Herd at theherdradio.com. That's H-E-A-R-D. Thanks for listening.